Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. And I'm Matt Leader. Today on the show, we are taking a look at a something of a, a cult classic, Attack the Block. Craig, what are some of your just initial thoughts on the movie? So, uh, first off, I have never seen Attack the Block until this last viewing. Uh, this is one that you recommended, which is always fun when we kind of have each other watch something that... Uh, the other one's seen before, but the other one hasn't. Um, my first thought is it's very British. Uh, I did not watch it with the subtitles on and kind of wish I would have. <laughs> uh, I could catch what's happening, but I'm one of those people that really, really wants to know every single thing that people say, even if it's not super important. Um, but it, even so, I mean, it's filmed, you know, it's filmed around London. Uh, it feels like it is. It's very self-contained. Uh, I liked it though. I, you know, it it's uh, it started right off pretty quick. It's it's not very long either. I think it's like eighty eight minutes or something like that. It's pretty short. Yeah. Uh, I thought that the uh, the casting was really good, and I thought the editing was really really well done. That's kind of my my main takeaways from this. Um, it and it ultimately, I think it kind of felt a little bit like a longer episode of the twilight zone in the way that it was very self-contained remind me a little bit of monsters are doing maple street a little bit, especially with some of the, the disbelief around people that didn't actually experience what happened um, with the creatures and whatnot, but it was fun. I, I, I'm glad that I seen it. The only thing I knew about it before was John Boyega was in it. That was literally all I knew. So um, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. What about you? So this movie was actually, it, I saw it a long time ago for the first time. And I uh, rewatched it. And this was my first experience of John Boyega. And so when he was uh, announced as the, as one of the main cast in star Wars, I was pretty excited because I think John Boyega in this film really holds his own. I, I think you can see that he's got some, some fine acting chops in this film. So I was like, okay, this is great. And you know, not to to sound like a hipster or anything, but I felt like Boyega was a bit of an unknown. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, for his casting. And I think I could be wrong, but I think this was probably his biggest film uh, up to, you know, before Star Wars. Um, and this is not like a, a super well-known film. So, you know, I, I kind of felt like, oh, cool. You know, I kind of know who this is because I didn't really know who Oscar Isaac was or Daisy Ridley. So this was kind of like, you know, it kind of felt really cool to have this like inside of like, okay, they did some some good casting on that film. Um, I thought it was really funny uh, you mentioning the subtitles because I turned the subtitles on for a little bit. Did you end up doing that? No, I, I made it all the way through without it because I ended up after a while. I was just like, you know, I just want to just see if I can can pick up on it, and I, I eventually kind of caught on. It it doesn't help a ton because <laughs> they speak in so much slang that you kind of sure. have to. It's almost like you're just kind of picking up the rhythm and the acting of what they're saying to kind of under, mm-hmm. and like not all of it is. It's like it's not impossible to decipher what they're saying, but sometimes they've got a fairly thick accent and. I was struggling just to like understood like what they're saying, like just what word was I didn't catch that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get that when when you encounter people with thick English accents. Um, but it's it feels very personal, like for a alien dropping down to Earth film, you know, 
uh, it feels like it's written by someone who grew up in that kind of borough and was kind of talking about some of their own experiences. I don't know how true that is, but it feels like a very personal film. Um, and so I, I quite like it. I think it's very much like a shot of adrenaline. You mentioned how short it was. It feels like it, it whips by. Well, it doesn't have much breathing space. Like it flies from beginning to end. And part of that's just nature of being a rather short film. Like, not much longer than an hour, like hour, 15 minutes, something like that. And then it's it's over. And um, I think the effects are fantastic. And so it's just like a, a really fun action movie. Uh, it's probably a little bit more graphic in terms of violence than a lot of stuff that we've watched for this show. I will say that. So it's not like a Star Wars-y, <laughs> no. you know, action adventure film. Uh, but for an adult audience, I think I think it's very good if you're feeling in that mood for action. I think that kind of, it fits the bill. Yeah, it's definitely an R-rated film. Um, I think probably mainly for the violence. There's a little bit of profanity and then just some of the, you know, the, the themes. Um, it's it's not uh, a little bit, little bit more mature than some of our regular fare. That's true. Um, I did want to touch on a couple of things. You mentioned um, the where it came from. It felt like a personal thing. I did find that there was an interview that Joe Cornish, who wrote and directed this film, he did say that um, it's based on an, a, an instance where he got mugged that kind of sprung out of this, which is kind of interesting, I think. Uh, and then the other thing that, that made me think as you're talking about the thick accents and letting things wash over you a little bit, it reminded me a little bit of like going to see a Shakespeare play where you're like, okay, I can't keep track of all this, but if I just relax that part of my brain, like I'll be able to tell what's happening. And so I think that's kind of what, what happened eventually when I just kind of let's let it go. You'll figure it out. The action is, I mean, it's like I said, the editing is, is really well done. So you can see what's happening. It communicates visually really effectively. And so even if you're missing some of the colloquialisms or, or whatnot, you're, you're fine. Yeah. So um, was there anything cinematography-wise that kind of grabbed your eye? So, I mean, the opening shot has, you know, it's just like from space and then it pans down, right? And you get to see this tiny bright light dropping down uh, into a fireworks display, which I thought was genius, right? It's Guy Fox night. That's when it's set. So it's there's lots of firecrackers and firecrackers play a really important role in this film. You know, one of the characters is, is very big on that. Um, i trying to remember what his name was uh, off the top of my head pest mm-hmm. i think yeah um so seeing that how it kind of subtly comes in reminded me a little bit of um cloverfield how it kind of just subtly just drops in there uh, but i thought that was really interesting how you're paying attention to that and then it blends it and like well this is how this would be um missed by a lot of people you know and mm-hmm. uh i thought that ultimately this movie does a really good job of not showing you things. We've, we've seen some of these films like Jurassic Park was the same way in Jaws too, where um, you're getting, I mean, the creatures themselves are super dark. So you're seeing a lot of them you know, like silhouetted. Uh, there's a lot of smoke in certain instances. Uh, there was some great, uh, I thought, composition though, where you have, what I always like to see, you know, the largest thing on screen is the most important thing. There's a shot where um, the alien fills almost all of the screen from the right. Uh, as it's ripping out this guy's throat, which also made me happy because bad guy from the right could kind of left. That was kind of fun. 
Um, what about you? What are some of the cinematography things that you liked? Uh, first is just the use of lighting and, and color. And you kind of mentioned it where, um, you know, these aliens, and they, they mention it like canonically within the film, but they're like pitch black, mm-hmm. which I think is probably, <laughs> was probably like a little bit of a cheat on the CGI effects department side, right? Because it probably makes it pretty easy to like hide some of the, you know, props, whatever they used or CGI, what, you know, whatever it was, that makes it a little easier. But on the fundamental level, when you're thinking about light and color, you know, darkness, you know, being afraid of the dark, that's kind of a fundamental human fear. It kind of fits perfectly with the story that's being told. So like, I appreciated that aspect of it. The fact that the monsters have those glowing blue teeth, I think mm-hmm. is a wonderful uh, sort of like little, not catchphrase, but it's like, it's a little signifier of the monster, right? So one of my favorite shots in the film is, is towards the end uh, when the head uh, gangster uh, hi-hats, yep. he confronts uh, the party uh, at, in Ron's apartment. And I think there's like, I think it's like the third time in the film where they do like a, you know, look behind you. No, really look behind you. And the camera, you can see, you know, where it's like all the glowing blue teeth that are just uh, outlining the giant window behind the gangster. And like that, it perfectly communicates the situation. Um, I love the fact that early on you see the blue lights and they look like eyes at first mm-hmm. and they're not their teeth and that to me was just like a a really fun like wink and a nod using the the lack of light to kind of trick because it it adds some to that mystery of like what is this thing and that's a pretty big like central piece in this movie like trying to figure out like the characters are trying to figure out what these things are what they're after which you know eventually they kind of do but it, it's all kind of um, the lighting and the color it all adds to that mystery and them trying to figure it out. Nice. Uh, I had a couple other camera things that I just, just thought of too. There's, um, it, it, for the most part, it's not really uh, dramatic in the way that they're that using the camera. It's, camera, it's pretty, pretty straightforward uh, in what they do, camera work. But there are, a couple instances that are really like there's the handheld camera, which again can be that's that's a tricky thing to use that or overuse that. Uh, but they're following the gang down the stairs the first time they're going to go investigate um, the landings, which is again, are they super brave or are they just really foolish or are they just bored? I don't know. But it's like, what are you guys doing? Oh my gosh! But following them down there is is really cool uh, and very immersive. Uh, but the thing, and I thought you were going to mention this actually, but in in the scene where Hi Hats dies. Um, they all come in through the window and then he's on the floor and then the camera is way up. It's bird's eye view and it's kind of rotating through and you can see the monsters kind of coming in from different corners and it's, they're super black. So it's almost like the lens is kind of contracting back and forth. And I just thought that was one of my, I think that's one of my favorite shots. in this Yeah. Movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, you, you already mentioned it, but there's a lot of darkness in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that from like a setting and design perspective as well, because thinking about, and I actually use this example from one of the Harry Potter films, uh, where they use lighting and like these flickering lights as kind of a sign of, of insecurity, danger. 
And it's the same exact thing with this, where you have lots of, um, and I also love the fact that, you know, the movie starts out with this very scary, but real world danger of the mugging. And then it becomes a bigger story as the story, you know, as the movie goes on. Uh, but the whole time you have tons of uh, flickering lights. You can see like the lighting is playing a part in that kind of, we're in a dangerous place, but it mixes between it's a dangerous place because of the aliens and because of how like poor and like how horribly off these people are. And you can see that like, you know, these kids don't have parents who are looking after them. Like we even see the parents or at least some of them. And it's like, okay, be back in 10 minutes. Okay, mom. (laughs) And he's gone for like the whole night. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, all these things where it's just like, it's kind of flirting back and forth between these two issues of like the real life, you know, not having enough money, not being in a good place and the danger of the aliens too. Right. And and this is one thing that I was going to mention earlier, but I'll mention it now too, is there's a little bit of social commentary going on with this too, where you have this kind of inversion where you see, you know, it starts off with this mugging or, and uh, you know, we're supposed to, we look at these hoodlums essentially as these are the bad guys and, and Jodie Whittaker's character is the good guy. And then it turns out, no, actually like these are protagonists, right? There, there is kind of reason that they're doing this and we kind of, you know, adopt them. And then we start to see the world through their eyes a little bit more, which is kind of subversive and, and interesting. Yeah, totally. And and I do think that that's perhaps the most interesting thing that the film has is the fact that, you know, it is subversive that you are following the people who are doing the mugging. Those are our heroes. But at the same time, it doesn't like gloss over the fact that, yeah, they still mugged a woman at knife point. <laughs> like, right. and, and Jodie Whittaker's character makes that very clear that that's still not okay. And, um, but you do kind of see both sides of where it's like, you know, when push comes to shove, these kids are very loyal to each other. They feel like they need to stick together because they're all they have. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of true throughout the film and they do end up working together, uh, through, ne- through necessity, which I think is kind of like, in a way, this is like a buddy film. <laughs> like it's a very yeah. dark, very, uh, graphic buddy film but it still kind of is that where you can see the friends, like they're willing to fight for each other. They're willing to go out on a limb for each other. And they do eventually accept Judy Whittaker's character into the group, you know? And I think for them, they also begin to see her more as like a person and not just like a target as, as, mm-hmm. as a means to an end. Yeah. They end up finding out they have more in common than they initially thought, you know, she's, she's their neighbor. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Uh, what about what about sound? Was there anything that stuck out to you, uh, special effects or, or soundtrack wise? Yeah, um, the biggest thing for me is I loved the weight of the creatures, and, and some of that was through that design. Through you know, because we know fully a lot of the sound effects are coming from some person in some sound studio, and they really gave the monsters some weight. I felt. Uh, a couple times the characters describe them as like orangutan things or gorilla things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, they, I mean, they have that weight to them. And I think the sound design really fits those mon- those monsters and made them feel 
present, like real within the film. And without that sound and and the quality that they did for the, the monsters, I don't think they end up being as scary as they are. Because, uh, I mean, simple things about like when the monsters jump on a car and you can hear like the thud that they make as they hit the metal you know roof or something like that. It just adds to that, that realness. Uh, and it helps draw you into the film along with um, the, like the vocal sounds that they make um, as well. All of it, all the sound design for the monsters, I think was, was really, really good. Yeah, that shrieking sound they make is, yeah. is terrifying. And then at first I didn't catch what was happening uh, that they're kind of making. It's like a cicada type of sound. It's like an echolocation sound uh, because I hadn't caught on the fact that they're blind. They're, you know, they're there's basically a radar uh, that they're using. And that's a creepy sound too. And it's almost more creepy that they don't have eyes. Like it's like their whole face is just mouth, mm-hmm. like it's just teeth, right? Teeth and ears. That's all they have. Uh, and claws, of course. Um, yeah, it's just some terrifying, and that's, you know, it's a, it's an organic sound, which kind of going back to, again, similar to like Jurassic Park, where you have like some dolphin and some other snarls of other animals. And it's just, it sounds vaguely familiar enough, right. Where it's horrifying because like, I can identify some of these things and I, I get why it's, why it's scary. Uh, the soundtrack for this film, uh, was interesting. Um, it's kind of trip hop. You know, it's, it's, it's very modern. There's not a whole lot of like classical uh, instrumentation or anything in there. And so it's kind of like a very, I don't know. I don't know quite how to put it. It's, it's felt very modern, like a music video almost. Um, definitely like, seems like it's trying to market itself toward the younger generation or again, kind of adopt that like, Hey, these, this would be the music these kids would be listening to. Um, there's also some interesting use of diegetic music. I think it's specifically a Bruis, um, the one, uh, the one kind of preppy stoner kid um, where he's like listening to music on his headphones or whatever, and he takes it out and then it changes the tone of the music from, uh, from diegetic to not, or from non-diegetic to diegetic. You can't quite tell. It happens a couple of times. And I always enjoy when they just kind of play around with what's real and what's not in that way. Yeah. And uh, I think the only thing I would add to that is the fact that I think one of in monster movies kind of in general, the use of sound is, is really important for kind of letting the audience know like what's going on. Cause there's one specific moment when um, they're in the apartment. I think it was the first apartment uh, right after the, the, le- uh, the kid got his leg bit and Jodie Whittaker was like you know, trying to patch him up as best, as best she could. And she ends up like leaving when the kids are distracted and she's going down the hallway, and you can hear in the distance the monsters moving around uh, through the apartment complex. And, like, that right there is the monster. Like, that sound is so important for, like, telling the characters, but also the audience, like, what's going on, what the stakes are, why she decides to turn around and go with the kids, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's just, I think, a good example of how important sound is, like, to the story itself. Yeah, I like that a lot because the, the the character design is kind of almost vague in a way. Like it's kind of this black shape that we don't really, it's not fully defined. But, and so I couldn't really tell you what they look like, but I can definitely tell you what they sound like. And in a lot of ways, that's again, more horrifying. Yeah. 
Um, the performances I thought all across the board were pretty good. I, I know these were a lot of very young actors. I know Jodie Whittaker, um, who of course is Doctor Who at this point, um, had been in some a couple other things, but I'm pretty sure this was John Boyega's first role. There's a couple of other people I barely recognized. Um, I know uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Franz Drama, I think. He's Dennis. He's the one that gets his head cut off. Uh, and he's the pizza delivery guy. He'd been in um, The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. So I'd seen him, but he didn't have a British accent in those, which is kind of, <laughs> that's always weird when you're like, and this is the first time I'd seen John, well, other than interviews, John Boyega with a uh, British accent. Uh, and then I'd seen um, Luke Luke Treadaway, who plays Brewis. He was in um, Picard, Star Trek Picard. I was like, I can't quite place that dude. But other than that, I didn't recognize anybody. Nick Frost. But, what's that? Nick Frost. Oh, and Nick Frost. Yeah. Nick Frost, sure. Right. Uh, and it reminded me, it was weird. Have you ever seen the movie The Player? No. By any chance? Okay. Um, there's a line in there where they talk, they're trying to pitch a movie. And the, the thing is, we want actors, no stars. That's what they're trying to do. Just talent, no stars. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I think, I don't know if it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. And, and that's, that ends up not happening in The Player. Spoiler alert. But I thought in this, that even though you don't have big name actors, that it, you know, it works. They have these very talented actors very charismatic people. John Boyega is incredibly charismatic. Mm -hmm. um, and it works. And I, I'm sure that's one of the reasons this movie didn't do any better financially. Cause like whose name are you going to put on the top of the poster? Um, but I thought that for the most part, they all did a really, really good job. Yeah. I think they, there's like really good chemistry. So like they match each other and they play off each other really well. So when they're, you know, like laughing and being friends, you kind of believe it. Yeah. And I think that's, like, it sounds really simple, but it's like, that's really important for a movie like this, that they feel like they could actually be together and, like, be friends with one another. Jodie Whittaker, uh, who's, at this point, not the biggest name, probably, right? Yeah. But at the time, she was probably the biggest name attached to that film. Uh, you know, at least arguably. It's like, she works really well with the other actors. And, like, everything kind of blends pretty seamlessly, and it feels authentic which is kind of what i was getting at at the very beginning of all this so i think the acting is is very good and like you said it's kind of fun seeing a film where you don't really recognize everybody or anybody <laughs> depending yeah. on when you saw this and um but it's like it works and that's you know that's all that matters yeah and it kind of adds to um the verisimilitude of it too um, that's for you, Dan, um, that you don't know who's going to die in a horror movie like this because none of them are like, you're not going to kill off your big star, but there is no big there star. Is, yeah. right? I was even yeah. like when, when Franz drama got his head cut off, like he was one of the two gang members that I knew. And so I was like, oh, when he died, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. But like everybody else, I was like, these guys are all expendable because none of them are the draw for this. Yeah. And, so and kind of fun. yeah, absolutely. Um, did you have any, particular lines um there's a couple uh that i really liked um there's at one point um sam that's jody whitaker's character says we should call the police and Beth says you better off calling the ghostbusters love uh, that's fun and uh there's another one i think pest is probably the funniest one he, he, somebody says it's a dog he says what kind of dogs are those dogs with no eyes dogs the size of gorillas you think them things are dogs go out there and try to feed them some pedigree chum they're aliens love <laughs> freaking out so what about you did you have any lines that you really liked uh yeah at one point uh one of the kids gets stuck in that trash bin 
and they're trying to like yeah. text him and they're like, I only got one text left. And one of them's like, this is too much madness to explain in one text. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, and again, this is not a, not a family friendly one, but another, but another one that I enjoyed from this movie, again, it's not a family friendly movie. Um, it says, we're going to Ron's weed room. Sam says, what's Ron's weed room? Well, it's a big room full of weeds, full of weed. And it's Ron's <laughs> Yeah, was, was pretty funny. Uh, what kind of alien out of all the places in the whole wide world would invade some shitty council estate in South London? One that's looking for a fight. Yeah. There's, there's a couple like decent lines in there that are, are very just kind of observant and they, and they help humanize the kids right mm -hmm. throughout the film because they're the muggers. <laughs> yeah. So it's important to add some humanity to them. And I think the script does a pretty good job of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also thought uh, the acting and the camera work worked really good in tandem with some close-ups on, on John Boyega's eyes, mm -hmm. very intense, like not blinking. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed Hi-Hat's face when he, he's trying to shoot up the monster in the hallway and he realizes the bullets aren't going to work because he's all cocky and totally, you know, like, this is all easy. And then it's just like, his face just drops and you get to see, like for the first time in the film, you could see him. He's out of his element a little bit. And, and speaking of that, when he uh, comes out of the elevator and there's just blood everywhere <laughs> and walks out and he says, like, you might want to get the next one. Yeah. And just walks off. Like there's a couple moments in there where uh, I think everyone kind of shows their acting off a little bit like that. Yeah. That was an interesting shot too. You just have the, uh, the elevator door close and you just hear lots of stuff and you're just like, Oh, that guy's dead. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's not. Nope. It's kind of interesting. Um, I thought, uh, some, some brilliant choices with, um, like Moses's black and red hat. Cause you have these like wide shots and stuff to be able to identify him really quickly. So mm -hmm. the very intentional, again, we're talking about identifying who these guys are and giving them personality, even though they're kind of nondescript at the beginning, like who are these guys? And then they kind of have these looks that they adopt and um, makes it fairly easy to figure out who's who. Speaking of that too, uh, one of the best moments in the film is when John Boyega is going over to the door to see like what's going on because he heard a noise and he takes mm -hmm. his baseball bat and like lifts his baseball cap up with that with the hat to look out the people i just love that little little move there and then he looks out and then you got the monster jumps at him yeah that's brilliant yeah that's an interesting character beat just to take you know, that's not typically how people move their hats no it's not <laughs> uh, anything else performance before we talk about setting and design uh, no, but I, you know, like I kind of have like touched on the setting a little bit and it's just kind of urban hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I noticed the graffiti right away. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of like, okay, this is not the best neighborhood. Right. In, and it's a pre pretty immediate. You can figure out this is, this is not okay. Um, yeah, but filmed on location, um, across London which is pretty amazing. And at night shot, night shoots are not easy. No. So that's um, pretty cool. And they didn't spend much on the film. No, uh, I had to look, let me see if we looked up. Yeah. They spent uh 13 mil made about half of that back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it let's, it's kind of gorilla in the way that it's filmed a little bit, gorilla filming a little bit. 
Um, I did like just just the apartment furnishings itself. We're, we're on a st- uh, not in an actual apartment, like on a, on a set somewhere, and that just felt lived in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's subtle. Like, there's nothing that you just would necessarily go, well, this, you know, this something jumped out to me or whatever. But it felt lived in. Yeah. And that's, you know, those things that you don't notice are sometimes like the most impressive. Yeah. Where, where it feels just authentic. Like, it feels yeah. like a real place. Yeah. Yeah. It just like the aspect that it all kind of takes place in the same apartment complex, basically. Um, you know, there's there's a few parts uh, out there. Speaking of, one of my favorite shots is, uh, I'll, I'll throw this out there because uh, I just remembered it, is when they first kill the first alien. And they like put it up on like a stick and are like parading it around. Like, that's just like a perfect little encapsulation of like teenage boys. Like, oh, we yep. found an alien. And we killed it. You know, look how badass we are. Yep. So I had to throw that out there. But like for the most part, it's basically just in like a couple apartment buildings, some like some streets. Like there's, it's really, the setting itself is pretty small. But in my opinion, it, it helps build that kind of, like the whole story is really about how these kids are having to try and fight and stick together like a community. And, and the setting kind of reinforces that idea. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the movie Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, where it's an alien invasion movie as well, but it only have you, you so isolated. You don't see giant spaceships. You don't really see town right. reacting, you know, unlike Independence Day, right? That's kind of the more traditional alien invasion movie, where this is more about the family and character development and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, to be honest, there's not much else to say i mean like ron's weed room <laughs> it's like yeah they got that going for him <laughs> it's like you know but a lot of it is is supposed to be just like normal apartments it's a normal street it's a normal yeah. night you know until it's not yeah i i did enjoy the fact that there was a sword and oh, a figure yeah. skate well, yeah. the figure skate used as a weapon was 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 pretty genius mm-hmm uh, and then once you get into Ron's weed room, you have the fluorescent lights, which um, I thought was brilliant. I didn't yeah. see that come. I wish I would have. Yeah. Like, why are they why are they being chased? And then you get into this whole yeah. uh, aspect of, you know, they took the female and they got, you know, marked by that. Scented. And so that's why. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's why the male, the black, you know, creatures are, are coming after them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this so makes, oh, okay. Now this, and that when it, at that point when that movie I was already enjoying it, but that it took another notch at that point. I'm like, okay, there's a total legitimate reason for this, and now we have it, you know an end game for this. We know exactly. kind of how to where we're going next. And I think that's actually probably the most powerful part of it. It's like it's nice that they, there's an explanation, but that provides like their way out. That that mm-hmm. like informs the last act of the film, which is kind yeah. of like a really cool way of kind of doing that. Yeah. And then it brings in a couple of interesting things because, um, you know, there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of characters hard to keep track of, um, who they are, but, but Brewis again, who's the kind of the, the, the preppy guy, Mm -hmm. he's a zoology student who just, you know, he figures that out, which is kind of cool. You had him in there. Of course he'd be able to figure that out. Um, but my favorite thing was, uh, the John Boyega's character is named Moses. Yep. And so he's the leader and he leads, you know, he leads his troop throughout the town and he also leads the aliens like into a kill box. And so 
I thought, what an appropriate name. Oh yeah. Like, you know, it seemed kind of random and that's like, no, this, I was like, I bet this is going to, and then it did. And so that was kind of a fun uh, reveal. And, you know, we talked in, in, in earlier, I think it was our Jurassic Park episode. We talked about how characters sometimes we don't see change, but we see it revealed. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, with Moses, you definitely see him revealed as brave and, and selfless. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't come off that at first, but he's definitely that guy underneath. Yeah. I mean, I think overall, um, you know, the film is really trying to get at something. I, I do think it's it's like that it doesn't necessarily help that it's so short in that respect. Mm. I think the pace of the film keeps it very interesting. Like I sat down, started watching it and finished it and it felt like no time had passed. And so I think for from an entertainment perspective, I think that was great. I do wish we could have seen maybe even just like a little bit more from Moses um, and, and and more from that, that character turn. I mean, not that we don't get a good amount of it, but for what it's worth, I could have used a little bit more. Yeah. There's a couple of things um, I was going to think, uh, think to say world building wise is that they don't really over explain anything. It feels just like it's dropped into our world, which feels natural, which is nice. But you could stand to have a little bit more context for what's happening if you wanted to go that way. Mm-hmm. And then it ultimately kind of ends abruptly yeah. for me. You know, they they get hauled, Moses gets hauled away and then, but the people are chanting his name. Like he's some kind of, but a lot of people don't know what happened. Right. So <laughs> it's like, it feels like there could be a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, maybe that was just, yeah, he, he's getting recognition and, you know, I feel like that that's probably like the biggest flaw for me is like just the abruptness of it. I think you said it pretty well where it, and, and like, but also part of me is like, that's why I love it is because mm-hmm. it's like uh, a rocket, right? When you're, you're, you're trying to like uh, make an analogy for a film, there's some films like um, the, the new Batman film was very kind of ponderous at times. Uh, mm-hmm. Same with Dune, very slow, methodical. And that's totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. This felt like the opposite, where it was go, go, go from the beginning. And it never really kind of slowed down. And that's part of the reason why I like it is because it it was very bold in what it was trying to do. And they were going to cut any fat from it and show exactly what they wanted to show, when they wanted to show it. And that was it. So I, I, I do kind of find that refreshing uh, while at the same time, I, I do agree that it was, especially the ending kind of abrupt. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's talk of a sequel, which is, which is interesting. I mean, there's clearly there's things you could do with it. I just hope if they do a sequel that that stays kind of true tonally to what this one was and they don't go for, you know, a much bigger alien invasion thing or whatever. I think that would kind of ruin the legacy of what you know it wouldn't ruin this movie, but it would kind of mess with what you're looking for. Like if you enjoyed attack the block, you want more of that attack kind of the block. isolation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Self-containedness. Yeah. Anything else? Final thoughts about attack the block. I think for me, uh, like, you know, like we've kind of said, this is not a super well-known film. I would like really encourage people again. It's like rated R, but if that's no problem for you, go watch it. Like it's very quick. (laughs) 
Yeah. You could very easily watch this, you know, after work and kind of forget about everything. And I think it's just like a very fun film. Um, be prepared not to understand everything that you hear mm-hmm. uh, if you're American. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you kind of know that going in and are willing to just like roll with it and give the film a chance, I think you're going to enjoy it. Like it, there's good acting. I think the special effects are fantastic for the creatures, uh, especially given the amount of money that the film costs to make. Uh, honestly, I think the, some of the monsters are actually, they look better than other much more expensive films. Mm-hmm. So just a very fun film. Definitely give it a chance if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. So, you know, much in the same way Army of Darkness was like, just unplug for an hour and a half. And, you know, it's a fun ride. You don't have to think too much about it. Uh, if you like John Boyega, there's more to like here. You like Jodie Whittaker, there's more to that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun movie. Totally. So before we get out of here, I wanted to briefly talk to you about Star Wars Celebration and tell you why you need to go next time. <laughs> Let's do so, it. Okay, so just because Matt and I have not talked about this other than I told him he needed to go. Um, so I just had like five things I wanted to talk about just fairly, fairly briefly was the first thing, and these are in like not necessarily particular order of best to, you know, least to best or whatever. Um, but one thing is, is the podcast meetup is the coolest thing that you'll ever do because it's just random podcasters and listeners just all showing up in the same place. And so people that you'd listen to, heard their voices, maybe talk to on a Zoom call or people that actually listen to you, like Mary Purdue came up to me and was like, are you Craig Dickinson? And like, that was like one of the coolest Like, Yes, yes, I am. And you listen to our show and comment on our Facebook page, um, which is cool just to kind of hang out and kind of talk shop a little bit too. Um, uh, I met tons of people. I had never met Dan and Corey and, and Tom. And I met uh, Dennis Keefley from Podcast Stardust and got to talk to him a little bit. <clears throat> Actually, quite a bit. We got to hang out a couple of times. Uh, and Anthony King and his wife from Force Ghost uh, conversations and kind of talk shop a little bit, which is just, we don't typically get to do that. You know, most people that we hang with, what's a podcast? So um, that was fun. And it just, you know, it's just one thing. And, and, and it was great. It was scheduled the first night. So after that, it's like you're going to run into these people. Jeff McGee, of course, was there and, and his wife, uh, his, his girlfriend, Pam. Um, so you get to kind of connect with people then and then kind of have the rest of the time to, to do that. Uh, and one of the things that came out of that, my second thing was getting to go to the Attack of the Clones panel on Friday. And I knew I wanted to go to a big panel on the big stage, on the celebration stage. And I didn't win any of the lotteries, which is typically how you get into those, the big ones. Uh, and, but this, for some reason, even though it's the 20th anniversary Attack of the Clones, they did not have that as the first panel of the day. So you didn't have a lottery for that. You just could wait in line for it. I mean, they also had, if you got into the first panel, you could just stay all day if you wanted to. I mean, it'd be a long day of just sitting in one place. So I knew they they didn't sweep it out, but you could still still do it. So I was talking to to Dennis and, and Anthony about that. And like Anthony was like, just manifest it. That was the phrase he used. You were just going to manifest it. And so uh, we did. We, we lined up like 45 minutes before, maybe an hour, 45 minutes before it opened. And then we got in uh, to that panel, which was, amazing it was amazing from the beginning ashley Eckstein was the host uh anthony daniels was there uh, doug chang who's one of the designers like an amazing designer was there uh tamora morrison was there daniel logan was there uh, and then um 
John Knoll, who is a special effects guy, and and Matthew Wood showed up, who's a sound guy and also does General Grievous and the, and the droids. And it was already awesome. And Tamara Morrison is amazing. And Book of Boba Fett should be better because he's amazing and they should have just let him do what he wants. And then the last 20 minutes, you and Hayden Christensen came out. And just, it was a f- ridiculous. Like I've been telling my students, like I was breathing the same air as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so just to be able to kind of make that happen and then for them to show up uh, was super cool. And then um, Dennis and I went and talked and right after him recorded a little thing for podcast startups. So I'm looking forward to hearing that uh, as well. We also did that for the Siege of Mandalore panel, uh, which was one of the, um, the, the lottery panels, but we're like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to see, I'll just going to try and do it standby. Uh, and just lined up early. And it turned out that there was no lineup for that. You had to line up for the bad batch panel, um, which I was fine with. So I got to sit and watch the bad batch panel, which was amazing. Uh, David Collins was a host and a bunch of producers and writers were there. And, uh, and then, uh, D Bradley Baker, who does all the voices of the clones was there and Michelle Ang, who does Omega. And at one point they read a scene where D Bradley Baker bounced between characters live and just, he just kept doing the voices throughout. So it was, um, amazing. And then CJ Mandalore just to get to watch the last four episodes of Clone Wars and then have Filoni come out and do a Q and a, um, for the last 20 minutes or so was, was amazing. Uh, the Mandalorian experience I did on Friday which I put a bunch of pictures on our Facebook page and there's some on uh, Instagram, which is another thing that you had to win a lottery for, but I just did it standby because sometimes that works depending on the time of day you go. That was one of the big things I learned was if you're determined and sometimes you just get lucky, I got into that on Friday and I had to wait a couple hours to get in, but I had time. And then it was just amazing, you know, screen use props and costumes. And I mean, a full size N1 Starfighter was in there. So check those pictures out if you, if you get a chance. And I got into the celebration store. It was the same kind of deal. Just walked in. Couldn't get a reservation, but I did standby. Uh, and then on Saturday, I just did tons and tons of panels. I just bounced back and forth. I was like, this was the day I'm like, I'm doing panel after panel after panel. Uh, I did a books and comic book panel, did an action figure panel, which was great. If you love action figures, it was like the history of the Star Wars action figure, which was super fun. Uh, but the, I think my favorite panel that day. Oh shoot. There was five panels that day. One of my favorite panels that day was uh, a Joseph Campbell panel where they talked about uh, the hero's journey in the Mandalorian. Matt, you would have loved it. It was great. It was so cool. So they would just talk about how that's presented through Din's journey and, and different things. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And I was able to, to tweet to all the hosts of that panel or the guests on that panel and tell them how much I appreciate it and got lots of responses back and I followed them and they followed us. And uh, so that was fun. I was like, Hey, we're teachers. This is what we're doing. This is, you know, and this is right up our alley. We also had the coffee with Kenobi podcast was that day. Uh, and then at the end of the day was the trailer park um, panel, which was uh, Brian and Holly from Bull of Sith where they were just like showing old random classic star Wars trailers, which was cool. And then that night, and this is the thing you really have to go for, Matt. We went to downtown Disney and like 20 of us had dinner and just hung out for like three hours. It was amazing. And talked about Star Wars and Celebration, but everything else too. Talked about sports and reading and had a bunch of awesome food. And there's some good pictures of this giant milkshake I had. And <laughs> it was just fantastic. So really more than anything, hanging out with people 
is the biggest reason that you got to go to meet friends for the first time. Sometimes meet people in real life or just deepen those friendships and just get to hang out with like-minded people was amazing. Sounds fantastic. So, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to England, probably not, <laughs> but next time it's in the U S I'm definitely going again. Yeah. We, we and talked you, about that. Uh, England might be a little too far away <laughs> for us. But other than that, you gotta go, we gotta go. We gotta plug it. Yeah. Dan also said, said we should, we should do a panel. We should write a proposal to do a panel about like kind of what we do in class uh, and present that. Like, so we should absolutely look into that. And I think we will. Um, not for this next time. There you go. But, uh, First time going to celebration, be on a panel. Let's heck do it. Yeah, man. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, that was a, a great, a great plug for celebration. Uh, makes me want to go. <laughs> yeah. Good. There's so much more. I don't have time to go into all of it, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was different than I expected, but also way. cool, cooler. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do have to ask, um, yeah. you collect action figures for Star Wars. Yes. Was yes. there anything at Celebration that you picked up for your collection? I did not. N- I now, saw- remember that uh, yeah. Jody listens to this, you know, <laughs> not, not right no, away. I, so you have time to come up with, with a lie. No, see. Uh, w- I, wink, wink two times if, <laughs> if, you, if she's standing behind you. They do you. have... They have shops of, of everything, little stands of everything. And, and they had any kind of action figure that you can think of. The thing I enjoyed the most was seeing figures that I had bought retail that I saw were selling for more uh, than retail. That was fun. And I, I was tempted on a couple of them. I'm like, I didn't, I don't want to spend $40 on that figure right now. Um, so mainly I, I, I picked up t-shirts. That was the main thing I picked up. I had more room for t-shirts than I did for, for figures. And, and that's another thing that you get lots of extra stuff just for free i got a ton of posters uh for being in some of the panels and then that last panel i went to that siege of mandalore panel um actually it was a bad batch panel that gave away a poster and we went downstairs to get it uh colby mead another guy again i call out people's names i'm gonna forget people and i apologize if we hung out and i didn't talk about you um and colby mead and his son we went downstairs to pick up the, that poster and there had like a line of people with posters like yeah we'll just give you one of all of these so I got a ton of other stuff. Like I got a couple of Andor posters. I got all kinds of stuff. So yeah, you're going to get stuff, even if you don't buy it, which is crazy. And then, but there, I was very tempted to buy a lot of other things. And just <laughs> not right now. So good. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it'll hurt your pocketbook, but yeah, if you, if you let it. So uh, as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And please, if you haven't yet, join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. One last thing. Our next episode will be a review of Thor Ragnarok. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Thor Ragnarok, and we'll share them on the next episode. <laughs>